Hello and welcome to Caring Conversations, where we are about to talk about all things caring for baby. Care Plus Pharmacy presents Care and Conversations, a podcast for new parents hosted by mom and brand director Leanne Highland. On this podcast, we want to help you through the scary firsts of parenting and newborn life, bringing you practical advice from the people that know. Hold on tight and enjoy the journey. We've got you. Hello and welcome to Caring Conversations podcast. Today's episode is all about caring for your newborn. If you're a new parent, you probably only have one concern and that's the health of your newborn. And it's only natural to worry. But one way you can alleviate those worries is to arm yourself with information and facts. Learn what symptoms to be on alert for and when to seek medical attention. Which brings me to our guest today, Dr. Laura Lenehan, a real life superwoman. Mum to three beautiful girls, practicing GP, owner and clinical director of a dedicated skincare clinic in Galway, and a fantastic content writer with a massive Instagram following. There is truly no better woman to offer advice to new parents on how to navigate those first few months of caring for your baby. Dr. Laura, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to get to chat to you today. Thank you so much. That is like the kindest introduction I've had. A real life superwoman. God. <laughs> no, you are. And, and, and to be fair, I, I nearly ran out of breath trying to say, like to fit it all into one sentence. And, I, and I'm like, wow. Thank you. So as I mentioned, you're a mom to three girls. So you've been through this newborn phase. You know it really, really well. And obviously being a GP, you're already really well equipped with knowledge um, so I presume then when your babies got sick, you always kept a really kind of calm head and everything was a little bit easier. Not the case at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so, delighted to hear that then. Yeah, we're, no, we're not I, crazy. Not at all. And I think everyone goes through the exact same thing, to be honest, GP or not, pediatrician or not, you know. The first thing that I would say, and I'm going to try and give kind of pragmatic, practical advice throughout this. And so I'll probably repeat a lot of the same things because I think hearing them over and over sometimes really helps. And it's really just about getting the basics. But at the end of the day, we're all parents. And whether you have a ton of knowledge or no knowledge whatsoever, when it's your own, it is totally different. And, you know, as doctors, people often think, you know, we should know everything. And Sometimes, first of all, you can know way too much. So when there's something wrong with my kids, my head goes to a terrible place. Um, but then you just, it's your own child. And, and for me, like any parent, my aim with the newborn period is to just try and get through it, you know, survive, keep them alive. Now, definitely when it comes to them being sick or unwell, you know, it's much easier for me to manage it and I know what to do. And, you know, I know that I can or can't give them, you know, Norfin or Calbal or, or whatever it is. And, and there are significant advantages to that. But also as a GP, you can be a little bit blasé. And my husband often has been like, we need to take them to hospital. And I'm like, no, it's fine. So trying, as you said, to remain calm is one of the most important things because if you let yourself kind of your head run away from you, everything becomes more difficult and you, you end up going down this downward spiral of, of what's wrong with them, you know? So keeping calm and knowing that we all do this and we all survive, you know, and you'll be okay. No, that's so true. And I think, you know, the reason to be calm is that like, I know they're only newborns, you know, but they, they will, of course, are going to pick up on kind of vibes and energy in the room, I would imagine. So like, it's, it's just good to kind of keep very, very focused. And also because, you know, you're going to have to be very, very clear in the information, especially if, if you need to take it to the next level or, or seek medical attention. 
I would have thought or presumed that being very familiar with your newborn's routine, like say feeding, nappies, that kind of thing, would kind of help you figure out if there's something off or or wrong with the baby. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it is. Okay. And getting, uh, so with everything, I always talk about getting to know what's normal. Uh, And, you know, so you will get to know your newborn, especially, you know, over the first couple of weeks and months. And exactly like that, you know, when they're sick, they mightn't feed as much. They mightn't have as wet nappies. Um, they might make as many poos, you know, or they might crave the breast more, for example, you know, uh, or the bottle. So absolutely getting to know their routine is is super important. Now, look, I would also say on the other side of that, their routine can change. And if you follow like the Wonder app and the leaps and stuff, they'll go a bit crazy here and there. But yes, absolutely. And I think it's really important to be aware of that and say, if you notice like, do you know what? They're really, they're not making as many wet nappies as that. I've only changed her nappy once now since this morning. And normally she'd have done three wet, we, you know, three big wet nappies since then. Then that's something that you're going to pick up on and you're going to know, okay, we need to watch this now and I need to give her more fluid. So yeah, it's definitely worth looking out for that and keeping an eye on what is normal for them. And, and obviously a lot of the time, and thankfully, if your baby's, you know, not well, it's generally a common health issue. It's probably something small. But, you know, obviously from time to time, there could be some sort of warning um, signals for maybe a potentially serious more problem. And obviously this is, you know, this is a place no parent wants to get to, of course. But I think it'd just be be good to ask you, like, what sort of kind of standout, like, symptoms would a baby kind of show that could maybe alert a parent to contact a GP or another medical professional because, that's just really a, a red flag. Something's not right here. Oh God, there are so many. And and, and honestly, to, you know, I was thinking about that question and you'd sent it on and really there are an awful lot. What I would say is if you think there is something wrong with your baby, trust your instincts and go to your GP. Okay. You know, babies don't get really sick for the most part. Okay. Unless it's something like meningitis and, and I'll, I'll chat through like kind of sick and then when when you start to worry now but you know for the more much more sinister things you know they're extremely rare and I always think mums and dads have such a good kind of gut instinct so follow that if you think that there's something wrong you know go and get it checked out like say for example you know there's the hepatitis scare at the minute so you're talking about pale poos dark urine not eating vomiting things like that yes but there are like millions of different things that could happen so as you said babies get sick all the time so you get yep. you know anywhere from six to eight what we would call viral or upper respiratory tract infections a year which tend to be the regular you know snotty nose or sore throat or off form and they get a fever with it And it's really common for them to get that. And they have to get that because they have never been exposed to those bugs. So it helps to build their immune system a little bit, I suppose. But when they're unwell, then there are things to look out for. So we spoke earlier about like not taking as much fluids in uh, or not making as many wet nappies. So signs of dehydration are things that uh, is something that you want to be looking out for. And the big way, so when, when patients or when, when parents bring their kids to me, it's always like, okay, well, are they having as many wet nappies? And if they are, then I'm not worried. If they're not, then we're, we're, we're thinking about it a little bit more. You know, an abnormal cry, okay? So you know the way your baby normal cries. So an abnormal cry is something to think, hmm. And again, this all comes back to your, your questions are so good, you know, something different. So understanding their normal. So an abnormal cry is something to look out for. A temperature that you can't control. So 
I always talk about weight-based dosing of Calpol and Nurofen, and there's great information on this on my page and on um, the ICGB website. And, and if you're new to it, you should talk to your GP or your public health nurse. But if you can't control a baby's temperature with regular Calpol and Nurofen, then that's something to be worried about. Okay. Um, and another thing would be a fever that kind of lasts. So, you know, um, oh God, I, I think the advice is three days, which is ridiculous, right? But because lots of kids will have a fever for three days with an illness. But, you know, if you're talking about five, six, seven days, then that's something you should be looking into as well. Other signs of dehydration are, say, especially with newborns, because it can be difficult. So an abnormal cry, the soft spot on their head, um, you know, where the, the kind of, brain the skull bones haven't fused yet yes if that gets depressed that's a sign of um dehydration as well wow i never heard of that yeah yeah and then um when they're crying not crying with any tears so again another sign of dehydration and something to worry about and the other thing and i, and I suppose the big thing to talk about is a meningococcal rash okay so that the baby might have meningitis and that would be one of the more common serious effects and when I say common I mean more so than all the non-common things but not common okay and I mean injococcal rash you know the rash that they get is this purpuric rash and it's the one that doesn't go away when you rub a glass over it or when you kind of pull I can't show you my fingers can I pull your fingers across um the skin like that most rashes and, and stretch the skin most rashes will disappear in which case you don't need to worry about it but if it's a meningococcal it won't but honestly, by the time they have the rash, they're extremely unwell, you know, um, they're drowsy, they're unrousable, um, and it's a late stage sign. So most kids don't get to that stage before they've been assessed. I suppose they're the most common abnormal signs to look out for, if that makes sense. Even I'm learning, I have a two-year-old, and you said things there that I just didn't know. Like, I, I still don't know. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, because as, as you said before, the list is so long. Yeah. And and I really believe in good instinct. And sometimes you just know something's just not right because, you know, you're with the baby all the time. I think that's really, really, really helpful information, especially people, you know, coming into this journey for the first time. You know, for any parent, you're not going to know everything at the start. And that's OK, because it is a learning curve and parenting is a learning curve. And, and that's kind of half of the joy as well. So don't put the pressure on yourself. Yeah, I'm on my third, Leah. And I'm a doctor and I've studied pediatrics and I'm a GP and, and I still don't know, like Romy, you know, my youngest, who's two, yeah. I, like she still throws me, like, and she's totally different to the others. And you probably wouldn't know those signs, but actually that's because you never experienced them. But if you experienced them, you'd know them, you know, now. I do try to educate on them a lot, but there's a lot of that information is missing. And I think that's why things, you know, podcasts like this are fantastic. And just because you've seen something once with one child doesn't mean it'll happen with the second. Something completely different can happen with the second or the third, you know. So it, it's a constant learning curve, no more than medicine in general. But the good news is, you know, especially if you're on your second and third, you've kept one alive so far. So, you exactly. Know, you go, you're doing something <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, you're doing something right. It's literally the bar is low. Just keep them alive. They'll be grand. Absolutely. So Dr. Laura, as part of this, what we did, we, we have a baby club um, as part of Care Plus and we went out to some of our new baby club members and we just asked them, and these are generally very new parents, and we said, like, well, what's top of mind for you? Like, what sort of kind of, you know, topical health issues would you love to have more information about? And I, I think this, it's probably some of the topics we actually see ourselves through pharmacies. And I think the main one is well, there's a bundle of questions and obviously, you know, kind of just... We'll go through a couple of them. We can't go through all of them. But the main one that came up all the time was basically around fever and temperature. 
And obviously, you know, there's probably that tie into, you know, the kind of COVID thing as well. But I think they were, you know, really wanting to know is, do you have any advice on the best way to do a temperature check on a newborn? And when it were, if it's a very, very high temperature, what's your recommendation? So if a new baby has a temperature, you need to go to your GP or A&E. Okay. So that's the first thing. So babies under three months shouldn't get temperatures. Um, and if they do, they need to be assessed because they can get really sick really quickly. Uh, and I think that's a really important thing to be aware of. So newborn babies, any kind of a temperature, if you're worried, into your GP. And if your GP isn't available, out of hours or A&E. Great. Most of the time, it's absolutely nothing, but they are at risk of meningitis and things like that because they haven't been um, vaccinated. If you're breastfeeding, they will have some kind of antibodies from mum and obviously from their time in the womb but you know they're not they're not given their first injections until they're eight weeks or two months old so actually newborn babies with the fever always need to be assessed Um, and honestly most GPs will send them into A&E as well so that's the first thing in order to know what if they have a fever I suppose is really important as well and so We've, we've spoken about if a newborn has a temperature, then you, you want to get them checked out. So that's all babies under um, three months of age. Yep. And if you're looking at a temperature, how to check a temperature in them. So a couple of things. You don't want them wrapped up in a massive amount of clothes or anything like that because you might get an abnormal temperature. You don't want to do it because sometimes some people will do it like after giving them a bath, their temperature is going to be up. I have a husband that's done that once or twice. <laughs> the best way to check it. So I tend to recommend the ear thermometer and the brawn ones are spectacular. And I'm sure you guys have them in all of your pharmacies. Yeah, we do. But actually they're not, yeah, they're not suitable for younger children, for newborns. And for those, you should be using um, a digital thermometer. So they're the ones with the slightly smaller tip that you use under the armpit. And in that area, um, it's a temperature. So normally a regular temperature is 36 to 37.5 by say the ear or the um, forehead with the scanner um, thing. And I would consider a temperature 38 in older children, but in younger newborns over 37.2 in the armpit is when you want to be aware that they have a temperature and then get them checked out. Yeah, no, that's really, really, really great information. I think it's really getting familiar with, you know, looking at obviously the age of the baby and making sure that you have all that information. And we'll probably link some of this information in the show notes or whatever, give give links so people can know the temperature checks. Yeah, and there's, there's the HSE website. HSE is brilliant. It's excellent. Like it's so good. And that's where if I'm doing posts. And your public health nurse gives you the HSE books. Booklet, yeah. I, st- I, I still have them. And um, I actually only got one recently. I, I saw her and obviously for the two-year-old check. And again, the, the new big book comes into the house and you know, the photographs are there. It's really, really, and it's very, very simple, you know, stuff, but it's just really good just to have that to hand. And the next question um, that we had, Dr. Laura, is really about vomiting. What are your tips on knowing what's normal vomiting versus something different or serious? Okay, absolutely. So that's a really good question. So I would call normal vomiting positing um, and babies posit all the time. So they only have teeny, 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 tiny tummies. And we're there shoving a ton of milk into them, you know, or throwing them on the other breast or giving them another bottle. Uh, and often it's just a little bit too much. Or the, the reason that they do a lot of positing is that the what we call the lower esophageal sphincter. So what the, the muscle that keeps all the food in our stomach, it's not developed enough in, in babies. And in some babies that can become, I suppose, pathological and lead to reflux. So positing, which is when they just spit up a bit of their milk afterwards, normally undigested, is completely normal. 
I suppose vomiting that I would tend to worry about are things called a projectile vomit. So a vomit that could hit the wall. So, you know, it spouts out of the mouth. Okay. We don't like that. And we don't like vomiting, vomiting. So like, as opposed to positing, which is a very... It's like, it's just falling out of their mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Falling out of their mouth. Yeah. Versus like a a vomit, which would be much more projectile or have a lot more... um, uh, kind of weight behind it. So yeah. vomiting in, again, newborns, you know, they're they're at risk of dehydration. And with projectile vomiting, there can be more serious concerns with that. So absolutely, if you have either of those, then I would be, you know, checking in with your GP, making sure they're hydrated. So those things like the soft fontanelle, less wet nappies, not taking in fluids. And in newborns, we tend to get them assessed in A&E if they are vomiting as well, because they're at risk of dehydration. That's that's been really, really helpful. Um, the other topic, and I was kind of laughing because I'm not surprised this topic came up because I, I remember when I had my baby and I kind of felt like I was very, very lucky because all my friends at the same time were obsessed with the topics of colic and reflux. It just seemed to be the main question over and over again. And um, and, and it's actually one we see in pharmacies quite a lot as well. So I, I wondered if you, if you could actually just take us through them, because it would be great if there is a kind of clear distinction between the two. So that can obviously help parents. I don't know that there is. And I'm, I'm going to be super practical in this regard. You know, babies can't tell you what's wrong. All they can do is cry, yeah. which makes it difficult. OK, so colic is crying. Okay, so frequent and excessive crying normally starts at about like two weeks old and ends by about four months. And it is common. It affects like one in five children. In some kids, it can last a little bit longer, up to six months. We don't really know why. Is it their immature digestive system or what is it? I'm not sure. But uh, the way to diagnose um, colic in kids is when they cry for more than three hours a day, for more than three days a week, for more than three weeks. So three hours a day, three days a week for three weeks. Yeah. Now, most babies with colic will cry constantly. And that's when they're, you know, so they'll they'll cry. They might have like a difficult period. um, And, you know, uh, three days a week would be great. But most parents will have it like every single day, I suppose. And so, you know, these are babies that are kind of restless. They draw their legs up, arch their backs, clench their fist, which is what makes us think, you know, it's to, to do with the digestive system. They might go really red in the face and then they might like settle a little bit and then kind of go again. You know, it's really common for babies to cry in the evening time. Okay. So my little ones and I used to always just sit in the bed and and feed them. But a baby with colic can cry kind of any time of the day or night. And so they seem like they're in distress. It's extremely difficult for parents, particularly, you know, and for the baby, obviously, but thankfully, God love them. They don't remember it, you know, so so parents tend to be more stressed because they can't do anything about it. And it's a vicious circle. That's true. That's, you know, the definition for colic. And if we talk about reflux, lots of the symptoms are are quite similar. So reflux is because of that lower esophageal sphincter not being tight enough. So the food, um, the milk that's in the stomach comes back up uh, and causes heartburn. So that's what reflux is, heartburn like we get in adults and kids, babies can get it too. It's just because that their, their food pipe, their esophagus kind of isn't fully developed yet. It tends to present later in life for babies, so normally around the eight-week mark, um, and then gets better the more that um, esophagus can contract. Okay. So colic is the crying. With reflux, then they can um, spit up their milk, so they can be positing, though not all positing is reflux. They can refuse feeds because they're in pain. Okay, So babies with reflux can be in pain. 
So they can say no, they might get hiccups or coughing, they might cry or cry when ear um, when feeding. And they're also like a little bit more um, susceptible to ear infections because the fluid comes up and can cause issues. Yeah, I think like babies with reflux can definitely pull up their legs and arch their backs too, you know. And so the distinction between them come, becomes a little bit more difficult, but they're the most common symptoms that we see with both. So maybe that, that, that will help a little bit, but it's important to remember that these are things really only happen when they're younger and they do tend to progress out of them as they get older. Now, don't get me wrong, some kids can have uh, reflux for quite some time. And I always think parents think it's X, Y, or Z and blame themselves and try to change. Like, Agree. you know, they remove dairy from their... Um, they think it's allergy related all the time. Yeah. I, and it's not. It's it's not for the most part. And it can be, they can have a cow's milk protein allergy, um, which would present differently with blood in the stool and stuff. But for the most part, it's just because that lower esophageal sphincter isn't strong enough. And so it doesn't matter what you do and, you know, changing milk and stuff, you know, there are specific, it, it, it doesn't for most. Yeah. Now, you know, some patients will try or people will try to give their kids like reflux milk, um, which tends to be a little bit thicker, but that's a lot more difficult to go down. The thinking is that it stays in the stomach because it's heavier. I don't know. I, I think often um, it's about just kind of getting through it a little bit. And we do use medications uh, to treat it as well, like we would in adults. So things like PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, which reduce acid in the stomach. So to stop it burning in the uh, lower esophagus and things like sodium bicarbonate, you know, uh, products that kind of coat it to, to allow it to settle down. But I, I think it's terrible for parents and it is so tough. And I would always say chat to your GP about it touch wood like I haven't lived through it yet not to say that I won't won't but yeah it sounds really really tough especially at night and and you know night is hard anyway but when it's hours on end and you hear stories of parents walking up and down the house and you know it's just it, it does sound really tough and, and I think you know going to your GP definitely go talk to your GP even if it's just to kind of help you kind of navigate however long this is going to last yes Brings us to our next topic, which is obviously a topic that you um, are the queen in, and it's all things, <laughs> it's all things about skin and um, baby skin in particular. Now, this is crazy because obviously that we see this a lot, a lot in pharmacies and, you know, and I actually lived through it myself. I remember a few days in and then all of a sudden I was like, where, what is, what's baby acne? Google, Google. I just didn't know what was going on with my daughter's face. And, and I literally had no idea that things like this would just happen or cradle cap. And I think they always look worse than what they are. Yeah. And I suppose, yeah, I just wanted to kind of um, ask you if there's something, you know, as a new parent can do, maybe, you know, going into this journey, go, okay, well, actually, here's a few tips of how, you know, how best to keep your, you know, your baby skin healthy as much as you can. These things happen. So massive topic. (laughs) Um, But let's talk about the basics. So let's, if we talk really quickly about baby acne, nappy rash, cradle cap, they're going to happen pretty much no matter what you do. Okay. So they're inevitable for some babies. So baby acne is just, they think related to hormones from mum, you know, which pass over during um, pregnancy, obviously. They think so. Yeah. Um, and so they have a certain amount in their body and, and, and it can, can act up. And, you know, cradle cap is um, super common as well. And it's just an overgrowth of, of um, you know, yeast on the skin. And so I like to treat it because most parents don't like the cosmetic aspect. So even something as simple as emulsifying ointment can get rid of it. Baby acne, it's just about, you know, keeping it clean. So washing it with cool boiled water and um, it'll go all of its own accord. 
I know lots of people are proponents for putting breast milk on it. Okay. I've never tried it. I, I None of my kids have ever had um, baby acne, so I've never had to try it myself. But definitely mums and people on Instagram uh, would love that. So your baby's skin, you know, when they're born, they're born in the vernix, you know, the white sticky material. Yes. And, you know, the advice is to try and leave that on them as much as you can. Now, it looks hideous and most of us don't want that because we want our cute, adorable little baby. So it's it's washed off. But For the Instagram pics. Yeah, the Instagram pics and the cute outfits that we all bring up to the, you know, the delivery room. But if you can leave that on for as long as possible and certainly not do a baby bath for a couple of days, that's going to give it loads of moisture, Okay. That's what protected it in the womb and it's protected outside. Yep. So their skin is thin, their skin isn't mature. And, you know, that means we don't want to come at it with a ton of irritant. So, you know, they don't get, well, they might get smelly if they're positing all over themselves or spilling breast milk all over themselves, you know. So a top and tail is what most people do. <laughs> yeah. I actually bathe my children not very regularly. Um, and I always say this, I, they don't need it for the most part, you know. You're cleaning their bum and you're cleaning their head and, you know, the folds of the neck and stuff can get messy. Yeah. <laughs> and and using, you know, just plain old water is great. I'm a massive fan of bath oils. Um, so Bioderma do one. They have their Astroderm. They have a big thing um, with a pump. Uh, La Roche-Posay, Relife, they all do a shower oil. And, and I actually, they're fabulous. So for kids and adults, I recommend them all the time. And, and that's what we all use in this house. Uh, and I think they're really gentle on baby's skin. And so using something like that in the bath, like once a week is really um, sufficient. Baby skin doesn't really need to be moisturized either. If you want to moisturize it, great. If you want to do baby massage, great. But it's not a necessity. You know, their skin is is moist enough. It's not like when we get older and we start to lose everything and, you know, the sun has, has damaged us. So their their skin is pretty good at keeping itself ticking over. And if you want to moisturize, I would go in with bland um, products like nothing scent, scented or fragrance. Like just keep it simple. Again, any of the French pharmacy brands do tons of stuff. The La Roche was a Lipicarbam AP plus M, which is a mouthful, is my favorite. Uh, I love that for baby skin. And, and that's what we use in this house a lot. So yeah, that they're kind of the top tips. Just keep it simple. Because you said it's all about keeping keeping it simple. Yeah. Because I remember before I had my baby and I had read something, some skin experts, and they were saying that, you know, if you don't want your baby to develop eczema or psoriasis, that you'd have to like make sure they're moisturized every day of their life washed every day of their life and I remember reading that and then it's you know it stuck with me but then I went in I had my baby talked to the midwives you know when they're you know obviously talking about you know bath you know once a week it's fine and obviously I took their advice but I remember reading that thinking oh god am I not doing the right thing am, am I like what if, what if she gets eczema or psoriasis and is that going to be am I going to look back on that and because I didn't moisturize her every day so it's great to hear that you're saying that they don't actually need that yeah, so something like eczema, they have a genetic predisposition, okay, and something sets them off. Now, if you had a sibling with eczema, I might tell you different. So I might say, look, I, I would maybe go in and moisturize just on the off chance, but it's it's not really going to stop eczema. You know, eczema is probably going to come no matter whether, you know, if it's going to come, it's going to come. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a genetic predisposition, it runs in families. But absolutely, there's zero research to suggest that moisturizing babies regularly will do anything to prevent eczema. This has all been amazing advice. <laughs> Even I'm learning. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I just think this is actually really, really going to help new parents because it's just getting into the practicalities of it and it's just simplifying it. 
Before you go, I want to ask you um, one last question. And, go, and I ask this question to all the guests on the podcast. As a parent yourself, what is the one piece of advice you would share with a new parent? So anything you wish you knew at the time, like a little pearl of wisdom to pass on? I just think, you know, keep it simple and don't freak out. <laughs> like, I mean, it's so basic, but, and that's from experience of, of I suppose, patients, mums coming into me really worried, you know, babies pick up on that um, and, and will react differently. And I think, you know, you got this. Yeah. They're pretty simple. As long as you keep them fed, change their nappy, um, and give them a bit of love, you know, that that's really just all they need. They're, they're simple creatures that just want to lie on you. And I think enjoy it, you know, and the more you can sit back and enjoy it, the yeah. better. Because it goes quick. Yeah. I remember my first, I spent like pretty much my whole time on the couch with her and it was just such bliss, you know, and you can't do that again. And we can be, I mean, I, and I certainly did it with my second, not so much my third, because she was a COVID baby, no more than yours if she's two. But, um, you know, just take your time, enjoy it. Try not to sweat the little things. Yeah. I just think it's keep it simple, you know. You're so right. We do put a lot of pressure on ourselves as new parents, for sure. And it's fine. But I think actually babies are probably a little bit more resilient than we think. I know they're small and, you know, they're very delicate, but they're actually quite resilient and hardy and they've, and I think we kind of 100%, forget that, you yeah. know, so it's, um, you know, and, and you're right, you know, everyone's got this, every, every baby's unique as well. So, you know, and, and you as a parent, you just know best. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember the days of lying on the sofa, watching Netflix. I remember feeling slightly guilty because, oh, I'm like, I spent another day not being productive in the house. And then I was like, let it all go. Because when I look back on that moment, it feels like a blink. And then before you know, you're back working and it's just crazy life again. So look, I think enjoy every moment. Absolutely. You're a wealth of knowledge. I could talk to you all day and I could have a million more questions. We'd love to get you back on the podcast again. But you've offered so much valuable insight and I really, really appreciate you taking the time today to join us. So for our audience, if they want to maybe, you know, learn more about you or get in contact with you, where, where, where should they go? Thank you. Thank you again for your kind words. So I spend most of my time hanging out on Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Laura GP and I do have obviously a clinic in, in Galway. So drlauraclinic.ie. There's loads of information about that there. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Thank you for listening to Care and Conversations. Get lots more help, advice and information on our Care Plus Baby Club. It's easy and free to join. Just click the link in the show notes on your podcast player right now. Care and Conversations is produced by JustPod.io and brought to you by CarePlus Pharmacy with outlets right across Ireland. Find your nearest CarePlus Pharmacy at CarePlus.ie. Until next time, from all the CarePlus Pharmacy team, thank you for listening. <laughs>